This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, welcome to another edition of the uh, whatever the stupid name of this podcast is. Uh, Brooklyn basketball, whatever. Evan Roberts, Mike Biseglia. I have no confidence. I'll tell you right now, after this brutal game four loss uh, with the latest on Kyrie Irving spraining his ankle, I, I don't know how Biseglia somehow went on Twitter, I guess in the last few hours, and said, don't worry, Net fans, we got this. So, Before I spout all my negativity, why the hell are you positive right now? I didn't say we got this. I just said stay calm. And I just try to keep level, trying to be level headed. When they went up to nothing and all the net fans were saying how easy this series was and talking about parades, I was like, okay, they're only up to nothing and they won their games on their home court. So I was like, let's just relax a little bit. And now the same thing for Milwaukee. They won both of their games. I mean, the bigger issue for me, and I'm sure it is for you, is it's like, I get they lost the games and game three was the real killer, but the, is the fact that if they don't have Harden and Kyrie, that's the problem, right? It's not yes. it, it, like, I, I was like, like if the Sixers lost um, Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons, they'd be screwed. If the Bucks lost holiday and Middleton, they'd be screwed. If the Suns lost Aiden and Booker, they'd be screwed. Like they've lost their second and their best player. That's the problem. I mean, that, that that's a lot to overcome. Yes. No, 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 no. Listen, listen, listen. I want to make something clear. My negativity is not that this series is tied at two going back to Brooklyn. I mean, if you would have told me even before game one of this series, even before James Harden got hurt, hey, it's a two, two series with game five in Brooklyn. I'd say, okay, I'll take my chances. I got two of the last three games in my own damn building. I fully understand that. And we have seen many a series over the years kind of follow that trend of, I protect home court, you protect home court, and then we see what happens in five, six, and seven. My negativity and the source of my negativity is the fact that they're not healthy. And we sat here on this podcast for months and months and months, and I remember I said this line to you, and I'll say it again. They couldn't keep the three guys together for two weeks. Why do we think they're going to be able to keep them together for two months? And I'm not mad at James Harden. He pulled a hamstring. I'm certainly not mad at Kyrie Irving. He sprained an ankle. But it sucks. And that's the difference. It's not that it's 2-2 and I have no confidence. It's the fact that looking at the way Kyrie turned his ankle, uh, I don't think he's going to play at all in this series. I think he's done. And all of a sudden, our lonely eyes kind of point towards James Harden. And I think behind the scenes, there's going to be a huge battle between Harden wanting to play because he of anybody has his legacy on the line right now. 
and the Nets wanting to be conservative, which at this point, I don't know why I would be conservative. It's game five of a 2-2 series. And I don't think that Harden re-aggravating his hamstring is going to impact him next year. You know, this isn't an Achilles situation with KD. So I don't know, man, I'd push it, but that's where my negativity is. I mean, we can go through this game and we could talk about what the Bucs have done well, specifically hit threes in the first half of game four, uh, the rough and tough defense on Kevin Durant. Like we could break all that crap down, but the source of my negativity is they're not healthy. And I don't think they're going to be healthy for game five. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm going on Twitter. And I'm trying to stay positive. I'm just trying to get my mindset in the right place. That if if Arden does come back and he is there on Tuesday, it changes the whole dynamic of the entire sure, series. I with you. Sure. I, I the, the way we saw Kyrie go down. I mean, that was that was one of those ankle injuries that if we were watching in the regular season, we go, let's hope it's not something that's super serious. But we understand that the degree of that injury is going to keep him out for a month or two to three weeks or whatever it might be. I mean, he was a nasty sprain. He came down and they super slow moded and zoomed in. And you saw that nasty sprain. It was gross. I mean, it was, it was a bad ankle sprain. It was just a fluke play where he's going up. He's taking a shot, nothing to do with load management or resting during the regular season. He just got hurt. So yeah, without him, it's just it's 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 just the series has almost become like a microcosm of what the season was. Where right now Harden's out. Okay, let's see. They're starting to play well. Okay, now they're in a little bit of adversity. Kyrie goes out, and now we'll see if Harden comes back, and we go into this with a Harden Durant version of it. Because boy, if I'm so interested now in what you said, like what happens, and his legacy is on the line. He wants to play. You see, if you watch the Nets bench during this playoff series, he is standing the entire freaking game. I mean, he is into it. It right. must be killing him that he can't play. So I, I'm with you. I, I I think, Evan, from this, what happened with Kyrie, and it's 2-2, I think they give it a shot. I, th- I think you see him on Tuesday. Uh, I, I do think you'll see him for game five, and I think there's an urgency there. And I, I think they'll have a obviously a conversation about it and figure it out. But I, I at this point, I'm betting that he plays and Kyrie is out for the series. Well, <laughs> there's a couple of things. If he plays, that'll certainly give us a lift. It'll give the team a lift going into the game. But like we saw with Anthony Davis a few weeks ago, just because he attempts to play doesn't mean it works. I mean, he could re-injure his hamstring as quickly as he re-injured his hamstring during game one. So I don't want anyone to think, oh, James Harden's playing. Everything's great. You're going to hold your breath every time down the court, too, because Mm -hmm. he is clear when he comes back, assuming he does come back in this series and he does push himself, he's going to be coming back early. I don't think there's any doubt. And for Steve Nash to say we're not going to rush him, the Kyrie Irving injury has no impact on our decision around James Harden. James Harden's going to make that decision based on where the series is. I don't think it's about Kyrie Irving necessarily being hurt more than it is. It's a 2-2 series with game five in Brooklyn or they're down 3-2, game six in Milwaukee. You'd have to think that that's going to be the thing that'll cause James Harden to say, Look, I got to play. I got to give it a try, even if it does turn out to be what we saw with Anthony Davis a couple of weeks ago. But that's where, as a Net fan, my anguish is. I want to make that clear. It's it's not even about the physicality we saw in the last two games in Milwaukee. Because you texted me this, so I give you the credit. I expect the whistle to be different in game five. And you said that you, you texted me and said, look, KD is going to get the calls in game five. And it was a good point. The more I think about it, I think you're right. I think that there is this bias 
towards officiating home and road. I think we've seen it over the years. I think Steve Nash did a great job of pulling a Phil Jackson after game four when he said P.J. Tucker's defense is not, and I'm paraphrasing here, is mm-hmm. borderline, you know, not even NBA style. Like it's whatever right. he said, it's too rough. I don't even know if he means that more than it is. I got to get the officials attention. So I do think that the physicality Milwaukee got away with in these last two games, I don't necessarily think will be the case in Brooklyn on Tuesday night. And you go back home and we've seen this and it's becoming more and more evident the more I watch him, but, and this is always the cliche with road with um, role players at home and on the road. And I was hoping Joe was more than a role player, but Joe Harris in Milwaukee and Joe Harris in Brooklyn are two different guys. I mean, he was seven for 10 from three in one game. Uh, in that Celtics series. And now we're seeing here he is against the uh, Bucks on the road. And he was just dreadful. He just couldn't get into a flow. He couldn't do anything offensively. And the Nets just as a unit play so much better at home. It's so funny to me, the, the cliche, the, the, the conversation about the Nets at home. Oh, do they have energy? Do they have fans? Is it really a home court advantage? The Nets at home have played really well. So take away like who cares about how loud it is. They win games at home. I don't have the record in front of me, but I would say it's something like 30 and eight or 30 and nine or something like that when they're at home versus the road. So they're a different basketball team. So put them at home, get Joe Harris playing better, get Landry Shamit more involved get better Bruce Brown efforts than what we saw, even though in this game, he only played nine minutes. I think you'll get more of that total team effort. Even if James Harden isn't there, the Nets are a different team at home in this season. The Bucs and Nets have played each other six times. The Nets are three and zero at home versus the Bucs. The Bucs are three and zero versus the Nets when they're in Milwaukee. So the Nets have two, the Bucs have one and that's the way it <laughs> is. And this is the, there's not a must win until you're down a game and it's, it's, it's you know, it literally has to be a must win, but they got to go on Friday and set the tone back that they are here to play just like Milwaukee did in right. game three early on and show that this team, even if Harden isn't there, and I obviously don't expect Kyrie, those first couple of minutes, the Nets need to punch the Bucks in the face and say, we're back in Brooklyn, get those whistles, get those calls, get them frustrated and get the game back to Milwaukee up 3-2. And here we are in a best of three, take care of business. 28-8 at home. And that was during the regular season. So if you throw in the four games uh, during the postseason, or uh, actually five games, because you had three against Boston, two against Milwaukee, that would make them 33-8 and at home. So you're right. I mean, they have been a dominant road team. They've been a different road team, a different home team. Right. Uh, The thing about Joe Harris that is – it may haunt my dreams and it may haunt your dreams. I keep thinking back to game three because sometimes there's a game in any best of seven series in any sport that you think back to even more than the deciding game. And, and an example I'll give, cause we're both Met fans is that Met Cardinal series where they lost in seven. Yeah. A lot of people talk about Beltron striking out Yadier hitting the home run. But game two was really a killer. They had a leading game two. Scott Spezio at a game-winning home run against Guillermo Moda. And you look back at that game and say, look, obviously they could have won game seven, rewritten everything, but they had a chance to go up 2-0. The whole series would have been different. And everything about the last minute and a half of game three is haunting me because Durant hits that three to put him up by three with a minute and a half to go. And you know you thought it was over. I thought it was over. We, we both had to think we have the best effing player in the world who's just taken over a game. This is curtains. And I think back to Joe Harris. And I love Joe. 
You love Joe. He's an original G and all that. Wide open jump shot up by one. You got to hit that shot. I don't give a damn if it's in Milwaukee, if it's in Brooklyn, if it's on Mars. You got to hit that shot. Now, obviously, the Bruce Brown stuff. But Joe Harris, who was crap in game three, but the one shot that haunts me more than anything is being wide open up by one with 45 seconds to go. Bro, he hits that shot and they go up 3-0. Even if game four kind of unfolds the exact same way with all these injuries, I think we'd feel a little bit different up three games to one going back to Brooklyn. And I would say for Joe, big spots, big games, he does not show up. I mean, he's been awesome. He's had his moments where he's been great and he's had shots and he's been open. But you see Joe in games where he's playing lesser opponents, you put him in a big spot in a big playoff game, uh, he has not been there. It really hasn't. He hasn't proven to be a valuable asset for the Nets in big moments down the stretch. So I'll be curious if it is a big game, number five versus the Bucs, what kind of lineup that Steve Nash goes to and Nash put Joe Harris back in the game with like three or four minutes left. And if he's not making shots, I mean, it's just rough. He had a couple plays where he went to the basket and he was a little bit more aggressive. He did it two threes today against Milwaukee, but he was, he was trash. I mean, he really was. And it was, it was hard to watch in that game. And yeah, I, I can't get that game out of my head. Like game three stung more than game four, because like you and Evan, I am not an optimistic net fan. I'm not one of those net fans. that's like, yeah, here we go. We're great. We're awesome. We've got the best players. I'm really, really, really pessimistic and wait for the bad moment to happen. But even me, I saw that game against the, uh, game three. And I, and I thought to myself, we're winning this game. And it just, yes. it spooked me at the loss because I'm never confident. I mean that, like I'm not that kind of fan. Right. And when they lost that, it spooked the hell out of me. So today, I mean, it was just, today was different in that game four because when Kyrie went out and we oh, saw they were happened, dead. it was just, they were dead. you saw the writing on the wall and then the Middleton three at the end of the third quarter, when even you got it to nine and you're maybe yes. starting to think, Hey, they got a chance here. And then he's just like, this crap is done, but yeah, that, that game three, and I don't want it to be one of those moments, rewrite the history, take care of business in game five, get to Tuesday night, maybe Jeff green, another game, a little moment. And let's see, let's see what kind of things happen. I remember who said it on the broadcast, but it's so true. It's like Mike James is a nice player, but when you don't have Harden, you don't have Kyrie, you get exposed more. Oh, these are guys that aren't, you know, you put them in spot 10, 15 minutes on a fly, it's great. But if you have to give them 30, 35 minutes every night, you're not you're not a two seed, you're a nine seed, you know, and you, and you see it. Oh, no, no doubt about it. I mean, I, I, listen, man, that's that's the problem. That's the problem. You know, when Mike James is playing 15 minutes a night and he's not forced to be one of the main options offensively, it's a different story. And I think that's what we saw in the second half of this game. It's Kevin Durant, who's, of course, going to get a ton of attention. Why would he not? I mean, if you're the Milwaukee Bucks, you're going to double them. You're going to triple them. You're going to send them all at you. And you need other guys to step up. And I hope that the magic elixir is being in Brooklyn. By the way, just one thing, one historical note on a game that's earlier in a series that haunts you. Tell me if this qualifies at all. When the Nets lost to the Bulls in seven games back in 2013, the first year in Brooklyn, obviously, I think what jumps out at all of us is game seven in your own building, the Bulls being just ravaged by injuries and playing catch up that entire game. The answer is yes. You know what I'm I'm going? I know the answer is yes. Game four, CJ Watson missing a dunk. Oh, my God. (laughs) I mean, that was was unbelievable. And, And I think... 
I'd have to look it up to get the exact information on this, but I think it was going to put them up by 14 in the Something fourth like quarter that. with like yeah. four minutes to go. And CJ Watson misses a dunk. The Bulls come back. They win in double overtime. So yeah, there were many other opportunities for them to kind of step on them. And that, oh, wait, hold on a second. I, I got the exact information. You ready for this? Do it. They're up by 14. There's three minutes to go in the game. Boy, it is even worse than I remember. Watson's dunk would have put them up by 16 points with three minutes and 16 seconds to go. All right. He misses the dunk. And then Reggie Evans missed back-to-back free throws. And Always. then the Bulls and then the Bulls go on a run. Nate Robinson, it's a three. Nate Robinson, it's a two. Nate Robinson, it's a two. Holy crap. Nate Robinson, it's three free throws. Nate Robinson hits a two. Carlos Boozer makes a two. And then Joakim Noah ties it, goes to overtime. They lose. And look, to the Nets' credit, they won game five in Brooklyn. They won game six in Chicago. So they responded to this god-awful loss by winning back-to-back games. They were down 3-1 in the series. And then they lost game seven. So you think of game seven, but in a lot of ways, Game four was a killer because of how they blew such a huge lead towards the end of the game. But see, you can look at it in the other direction. Like I look back to Nets Pistons 2004 and the Nets were able to get that dramatic triple overtime victory versus Detroit. And they responded and they went into New Jersey in one game six. You're right. And then they obviously just blew out the Nets in game seven and it wasn't close. So it can work in reverse function. I just think we remember all of the bad ones. We don't remember the good ones that happened to get our teams to win. You're right. So, you know, I, I, they stand out. Trust me. They are, they stand out and we could look at the 03 finals versus the Spurs and the opportunities that the Nets had to go back to San Antonio up three, two, and they went down three, two. And then what happened in the last game six, et cetera. But like, it's still there to be ridden. So don't fall. Don't we can get over that idea with wins. And then that doesn't matter. And it's not impossible, but it's just such a weird, it's a weird feeling right now, Evan, and everything you laid out before, because it's two, two, their best players are hurt. We don't know what's happening with Harden. We, we, we don't know what's happening with Kyrie, although our eyes tell us that was terrible. So we're going into this series versus a Milwaukee team that was bad in Brooklyn Harden. We don't know what's going on. It's just so unpredictable with what's going to happen. And it's just like we're living and dying by four people on Twitter that are going to tell us the information as we wait. It's just kind of crazy. Yeah, no, absolutely. And look, Kevin Durant is being harassed. A lot of it's good defense by P.J. Tucker. I give him credit. Same with Middleton and Drew Holiday when they get their cracks at him. But Kevin Durant over these two games shot 20 for 53. Mm. You know what I mean? So And a lot of it was, I'm sure there were a handful that jumped out at me where they should have called a foul. They didn't. There were a few in game four where Kevin was looking for the foul, where he threw a few up, kind of thinking he was going to get the foul call. Right. So I think a lot of it was, I felt this way in game three. I think Kevin Durant missed shots he normally makes. There was a part of me that didn't think it was necessarily great defense by Milwaukee every time, but it was Katie getting to his spots and Katie just missing some shots. He obviously got hot late. We saw what he did when he kept responding to Chris Middleton shots, hit the big three, and then almost hit the game tying three, that prayer with two seconds to go. So I think a lot of that was the case in game three. I think a lot of what happened in game four was more doubles being sent his way, more physicality, and also... Kevin just looking for fouls. I'm telling you, bro, there were at least 
three or four instances where Kevin Durant would put a shot up looking for contact, you know, kind of just looking for the foul. And the physicality is going to continue. Obviously, the whistle being blown can change a lot. I mean, if P.J. Tucker is going to be called for a lot of fouls and now he's out of the game and KD is going to the line and he's feasting, it absolutely changes the game. But they are going to need Kevin Durant. Because, again, I, I'm under the kind of the, the brain – the brain. I'm under the uh, kind of idea that Kyrie and James Harden aren't going to play or James Harden's going to try to play and he, it ain't going to work. I'm under the impression we're going to have one superstar. And to overcome this, Kevin Durant is going to have to be a freaking mega superstar. He's going to, he mm -hmm. wants to write a legacy as being an all time great player. And I think he is an all time great player, but you want to enhance that. You need to kind of do what LeBron did in Detroit. Exactly. You know, you need to have one of those holy crap, there's nothing we can do to stop them 50 point games. And maybe that's asking too much. But he's Kevin effing Durant. If we're going to ask this from anybody, let it be him. But I really do think that's going to be the key if somehow this team is going to win game five and a game seven and move on in advance. I thought about when you said that, I thought about all those LeBron teams that were he was the only guy and he was solo and like Kevin Love was hurt and Kyrie was hurt, but LeBron just put them on his shoulder and he would go out there and just have these all-time great performances when he was in his tippy-top prime there at the second stint in Cleveland and just did everything that he needed to to help his team win. You're right. That's gonna if, if those guys aren't there, that's the Durant we're gonna need to see. And then we're gonna need to see guys around to make shots because people need to make open shots. Yes. Cause you felt when when we were watching this game, and I'm like, Durant's out there, who's gonna score around him? And it was kind of troubling. Like, oh, we got Jeff Green open, we got Joe Harris, Bruce Brown with those little slips in the post, but there was no other production. And Blake's different at home than he is on the road. Who's gonna score the basketball? And it's crazy to think this. It's funny to think this amazing high-end offense, and then we're watching him here versus the Bucks in this late game, and I'm like, how are they going to score points? It, it yeah. just, I, I can't. The, all the fear going into the series was the defense, the defense, the defense, the defense, and then ultimately through four games, and now in this last two games, the biggest concern is how are they going to score points because the defense has been good enough to beat the Milwaukee Bucks, especially game three, game four, not as much as Bucks had a lot of three pointers, but still not like earth shattering numbers where they're giving up. Oh, we'll outscore you 132 to 127. It's the offense. That's the biggest concern. But again, a lot of that is if you don't have two of the greatest scorers and the greatest passers in the history of the game, it's all on KD and the role players are going to have to be there. They're going to have to show up. Joe, Shamit, Jeff, they're going to need big performances, and it's going to – it's this, It's just wait and see now and just wait till Tuesday and, you know, high-end anxiety if they can they can pull this off, man, because, wow, it's just been wild end of emotions from feeling like people saying this team can't be beat to are they going to score enough points against the Bucs and how healthy are they? Well, thing, things change. Things change fast. in sports very, 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 very fast. I mean, that's, if this series isn't a reminder of that – I don't know what the hell is because you go from, like you said, dominating the first two games. This isn't fair. This is too easy to full fledged crisis mode right now with two of the superstars down. And look, you touched on it. Yeah. KD's got to be a Superman. He's going to need help. He got no help in game four. He really didn't. I mean, Kyrie Irving only played 17 minutes. He finished second on the team in points after Kevin mm. Durant, like, 
Everything else was Joe Harris, Jeff Green, Blake Griffin had eight. And by the way, speaking of Blake Griffin, he didn't play in the second no. half of this game. And I, I did not understand it at all, quite frankly. It did not make any sense to me why, especially with Kyrie Irving out, when you need another offensive weapon, why you wouldn't try to have Blake Griffin out there. And I'm not talking about Blake Griffin raining threes from the perimeter, but Blake trying to use his post game, trying to be aggressive to the basket, trying to be the playmaker that he actually can be at times. I, I didn't get it. And Nash's answer after the game was, it sounded as if he was just saying, yeah, he was tired. He's played a lot of minutes. It was almost like he was saving Blake Griffin for game five in Brooklyn, yet he didn't feel that way about the rant because KD played the entire third quarter of this game and played until the four and a half minute mark when it was just painfully obvious they weren't going to come back. So Durant ends up playing 42 minutes. And with Blake, he didn't play a second of the second half. And I didn't buy Nash's excuse. And look, I don't think it would have made a difference in this game, obviously, but I didn't need to see Jeff Green out there for basically the entire second half. And that's what he did after saying Jeff Green's going to be on a minute restrictions. Jeff Green basically came out and played the entire second half of this game. It was crazy. Yeah, it's just strange because like it wouldn't have made a difference. Bucks are winning this game because of if Blake's not in there or not, but just to not even get the run or get the chance after he's been such an integral part of the team has been very strange. And there was that overturn in the end of the first half. Oh, the Gumpo play where Jeff Green in the instead of going back nets down four or three at the time, getting the ball back became an and one. I mean, that was that was a game changer early. That was a big play in the game that felt was a momentum shift. And again, the way the Bucs came out at, at the, in, in those integral parts in the third quarter probably would not have made a difference, but you don't know how things flow in games. But that was a big one that hurt. This definitely was not a game where the Nets were getting the calls that they wanted or that they thought they deserved. So I like what Nash did in the post game on, on that front, like we talked about, setting the seed for game number five and hopefully getting Durant a couple more whistles. But I would expect to see more Blake Griffin in that game. And I, I can't imagine that they were just resting him. I, I, I hope he's not hurt. I mean, I don't know. I mean, like, well, yeah, that was, I hope he's not hurt. That was a thought I had. And for the record, he did play the second half. He started the second half, I think, and then played the first four minutes. And then once he was pulled, he never came back in. But you're right. There are a few turning points in this game. You hit on the Giannis overturn. And that was a great challenge by Budenholzer. I give him credit. There were certain Mark. challenges that are just worth it. And that was because you've got the combination of Giannis's third foul, which you eliminate, uh, and in one play, as opposed to the Nets getting the ball, I don't think Giannis hit his free throw in that situation. And by the way, that continues to be an issue for him. I mean, he went five for 10 from the line. And I, look, this game wasn't close, so we didn't get to kind of challenge this. But close game down the stretch, you got to start thinking about putting him on the line. Because especially on the road, because it's clearly a mental hurdle that he's dealing with. Their closer is obviously Chris Middleton. And we saw that in game three. And in ways, he looked like a closer. Hit back-to-back -back jump shots that gave the Milwaukee Bucks the lead. Giannis Antetokounmpo is still a problem at the line. And you may have to, if you're Steve Nash, at some point, think about taking advantage of that. I know you don't want to give too many fouls away. Uh, they're all valuable, obviously. You don't want KD giving away fouls. Even Blake and Jeff Green giving away fouls. But you're going to have to think about kind of challenging Giannis. But you hit the other one. When they got it to eight or they got it to nine 
at the end of the third quarter. Oh. And Chris Middleton, with two hands in his face, is drilling a three. That was a crusher because not that I ever thought they were going to come back and win, but that was their push that they were making after they came out in the second half and played dreadful. You know, I thought, ah, down five, no Kyrie. KD's going to have a big pep talk in the locker room. They're going to come out on fire. I even read on Twitter, the Nets came out early uh, for shoot around in the second half. They were out there a little bit before Milwaukee. I was thinking, ah, here we go. Here we go. We're going to respond. And they responded with crap. And they responded by going down by, you know, basically 16, three minutes into the third quarter. If you see DeAndre Jordan in the game, Evan, that means Hacka Giannis is coming because that's where the fouls will come. From. <laughs> that's, a come that's a good point. Just go out there and get Giannis, get him, and that's that's where that will come. But it's it, you know it's a it's 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 something that we might see later on, and it, it clearly is in Giannis's head to shoot what is it 69 percent from the free throw line during the regular season, and now just to be atrocious five for ten, which in a is scary, but is it an improvement for him based on the previous games. And then it's just so weird too with this countdown clock because it's okay. Well, they outlawed it at Barclays Center for Game Five, but. Why are you calling it sometimes? Why are you not calling it sometimes? It's 13 seconds every time. Let's call it this one time, but not call it the other time. It's just something that's so bizarre and strange why they want to call him the foul. And for Giannis, and this is nothing original on my end, but at some point he's got to rethink about how he wants to do his free throws because 13 seconds of him just staring at the damn rim is not working for him. He needs to figure out something a little quicker and faster uh, which is a problem for another time, but it's just, he, it's just, it's just a strange. Well, you know, what's also strange. Player. I don't know if you feel this way. His, his rhythm, like he takes way too much time at the line, but his form is not bad. You know, it's not no. like Giannis Antetokounmpo is shooting free throws the way Shaq sh- uh, shot free throws. Or no. even the way Blake Griffin shoots free throws. Blake Griffin shoots free throws. It gives me a stomach ache every time. It looks like he's kind of pushing the basketball out, you know, or the way Josh Boone shot free throws. So it's not as if the man's form is bad, but I don't know, man. I, look, look, I don't understand why they enforce the 10 second rule. Sometimes it's almost they they enforce it when they think it's excessive. When it gets to 13 seconds, they say, OK, that's enough. We're going to call it. But look, he's still and hopefully this continues, especially on the road. He still kind of has that trepidation when the Nets give him a lot of room at the three-point line, and he says, oh, let me take it. Let me take a long three, and he's still struggling at the free-throw line. With that said, Milwaukee was able to win two games in a row in Milwaukee, so mm-hmm. I don't really give a damn that he's got all these other issues because as long as the Bucks beat the Nets, none of it freaking matters. So are you confident, really? I mean, as you sit here right now, knowing the questions around James Harden's health, even the questions around Kyrie's health, even though both of us see kind of assume he's done for this series at least do you really think if it's just Kevin Durant they can win two of the next three games I would I would lean no but having two in Brooklyn makes me feel a little bit better if it was the other way around I'd say no chance but having the two in Brooklyn makes me feel a little bit better and this game to me actually was won in the second quarter when PJ Tucker started to get a rhythm and hit three pointers. And it felt like a different contest than it had in the past. And that they started to get a little separation with him and his ability to make shots. Uh, but full circle, I, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm hesitating to answer the question, I'd lean, I guess, no, if Harden's not there, if Harden's healthy, I, I think they get, I think they get, I think they win this in seven. I'll tell you, if it's just Kevin Durant 
and he somehow can get us through this series. I mean, he's a God. Like, that's the way we're going to look at him. You know, we've we've sat from afar and watched great players. You know, we refer to LeBron James and some of the things he's done throughout his career, uh, specifically early in his career, that series against Detroit. And we've sat there in awe. And look, we've had Jason Kidd. He was a great player. But we also understand Jason Kidd is not on that level of top 10, top 15, top 20 players in the history of the sport. I'll lay the gauntlet down here. If Kevin Durant is a true top 15 player in this sports history, if he truly is on the level of LeBron James with two of these next three games in your own building, even without James Harden and Kyrie Irving, will us through this series. I'm not saying it's got to be an NBA title. I'm not expecting Kevin Durant without Harden, without Kyrie and this roster to necessarily win an NBA title. I'm not saying that. But you've got two of the next three games in your own stinking building. Okay? Two of three at home. We went over the numbers. We know how dominant they've been in their own building. Even without the two superstars, can you give us two world-class, Hall of Fame-esque dominant performances and will us to the Eastern Conference Finals. You want to be an all-time great? I know you already are an all-time great, but you really want to go up that ladder? Pull that one off. By the way, earlier on during the regular season, I would always throw at you the Nets record with every combination. The Nets record when all three play, two of the three play. In the one-star era, they played 18 games. Believe it or not, 18 games this season of 72 was played with one superstar, okay? Nine with just Kyrie Irving, five with just James Harden, and four with just Kevin Durant, okay? Mm -hmm. You want to know their record? You want to guess? You want to play a little game? Four and five with Kai. You go four and five with Kai. The answer would be five and four with Kyrie Irving. So very close, but they were slightly above 500. How about Kevin Durant? Uh, I'm sorry, James Harden. Five games with just James Harden. Three and two. You nailed it. Three and two. Very good. Four games, not including this one, because it really wasn't just with Kevin Durant. Four regular season games with just Kevin Durant. What was their record? More uh, two and two, three and one, three and one. And you're going to remember all these. The one loss was actually early in the season against the Oklahoma City Thunder uh, when Kyrie Irving, I think, went MIA at one point. The net one of the wins was arguably Knicks. one of the best wins of the year. Yeah, the Nick game and the Minnesota game. All right, so two average to crappy opponents. No offense to the Knicks. But the other one, tell me if you remember this one the Denver Nuggets in Brooklyn, and they Mm. were down huge, I think, in the third quarter of that game and had a ferocious comeback and beat Jokic and the Nuggets with just Kevin Durant. Yeah. they. I mean, they're also playing the Bucs in the playoffs. They had Karras and Allen in those games, so that was a little bit different. Like I I know. I take Karras Karras to not, you know, give me a little, at least give me another option offensively. You got Levert right now. Because uh, Harden's not playing, but no, I know it's uh, you're right. He's got he's got to have one of those kind of games where you remember it's a 44 spot in the playoffs, and he just completely dominates and controls because 31 and nobody else doing anything around you. It, it, you're basically the Celtics with Jason Tatum. Essentially, 
The, the hope is, like you said, coming back to Brooklyn, being at home, you're going to get better performances out of Joe Harris, out of Landry Shamit, even out of Mike James. Just being in your own building is going to make that kind of difference. But I tell you right now, and I don't know if it's just the blood inside of me being a Net fan and expecting doom and gloom, but I, I think this is the way it's going to end, unfortunately. It just, it, it just feels as if we are going to go into an offseason. And, and it's not to make an excuse, because I, I made a bad decision, uh, Basegli, the other day. I decided to open up my DMs, and I even said it on the air. I said, I'm going to have open DMs. And so a few people have DM'd me, all right? Can, can I tell you a few of these? Because some of them piss me off. Okay. One guy writes me a gift, just sends me a gif when of a guy from, in? what was that? When, when? What was the timing of the gif? Today, all today. Post-nets? Post-nets, all okay. post-nets. Gotcha. One guy sends me a gif of a character from The Simpsons going, ha-ha. And I'm thinking to myself, what a douche. Like, what would make you say, you know what? This guy opened up his DMs. I'm going to tweet him with a ha-ha. But then this one pissed me off even more. I'll give this guy, I'll even say the guy's name. Why not? I'll give him attention. This guy's Sparky Griswold, right? Right. Sparky Griswold DMs me. So let me get this straight. Kemba, Jalen Brown get hurt. Injuries are a part of the game. Anthony Davis gets hurt. Street clothes. Anthony Davis, part of the game. Kyrie and James Harden get hurt. Injuries ruined us. Doesn't count. Correct? And I wrote the guy back and said, who the hell said that? <laughs> like, has any Net fan said this doesn't count? Injuries ruined us. Look, injuries are a part of the sport. Part of the reason the L.A. Lakers went home early, yes, is because Anthony Davis got hurt. In my opinion, if Anthony Davis was healthy, the L.A. Lakers beat the Phoenix Suns. Now, maybe that's not a popular opinion, considering the Suns are dancing into the Western Conference Finals. Uh, yes, the Boston series looks different if they're healthy. No doubt about it. 100%. Injuries are a part of the freaking game. I'm not sitting here, you know, telling you this doesn't count. Like, no net fan is saying that. What sucks, and this is what will suck, and this is not whining or complaining. This is reality is if this season ends this way, there are going to be those questions for the next nine months of what could have been. Hey, would we mm -hmm. have won a title if we were healthy? Hey, would we have won a title if Kyrie Irving didn't sprain his ankle? That's not an excuse. That's the world we're going to live in for 11 months until oh. this team, if this team gets back to this place. And that sucks. That's not an excuse. That just sucks. Just, I don't. I don't want to go go there because it's two two. But I'm thinking of all these regular season games and the load management and the rest thing, and then poof, injuries happen in the playoffs, and it's just all that effort, all that an energy, and it just comes down to these moments. But again, that's. Uh, I don't. I don't want to take the conversation to that place. I'm sorry. That's what my, my brain is taking mm. me there. That thought hasn't gone in your head over the last few hours of. I mean, it's crept, it's crept in there. Way. Like, okay, it's crept in there the whole time. Yes, it's crept in there, but it's it's still 2-2. Okay. The next three games in Brooklyn, this is not over. Let's find out the information on their two superstar players. Let's get info on how these guys are doing. Uh, but it, it, if they lose in Brooklyn in game five and they're hurt, uh, yes, my mind will be thinking about, well, Okay, second round for all that. <laughs>
Fantastic. <laughs> I know. I know. And by the way, just mentally prepare. If they lose game five in Brooklyn, okay, and we're down yes, three, two, we will have the discussion. Look, all we got to do is win a game six in Milwaukee. And guess what? We got a game seven in our own building. We'll have all this confidence. So <laughs> we'll, we'll talk ourselves into being confident for game six, even down three, two. But this just sucks. This just, and, and, and you know, what's tough. And I, it's tough to explain to a lot of people. I'm an Islander fan. I, I love the Islanders. I watch every one of their postseason games. I'm not as diehard as I am with the Nets because I, I'm more of a net fan. I'm more of a basketball fan, but you know, in the past, the Islanders make the playoffs. I'm into every run. I get into it. it it's a great feeling. And it sucks that the NHL has decided to have every Islander game go up against every net game. And it sucks for two reasons. Number one, I can't just enjoy watching an Islander playoff game because, yes, if the Nets are on at the same time, I'm more focused on the Nets. But what I experienced on Sunday was also really horrible, that I should be happy. The Islanders won game one in Tampa Bay. They took a 2 nothing lead. They held on for dear life. They won 2-1. to one. The New York Islanders are three wins away from the Stanley Cup final. And genuinely... That excites me, whether it's my fourth team or fourth sport or not. I'm still a fan. And yet I got so little enjoyment out of that today. And it's all the NHL's fault, because truthfully, if this game was Monday night and it was during an off day and I watched the whole game. Yeah, the Nets would still be my focus. No doubt about it. I would still be in all down about the Nets. But at least I'd have that night to feel good about the Islanders. But the freaking NHL puts these games up against the Nets. So I got like so little enjoyment out of the Islanders winning today. I know you don't care about this, Biseglia, but I just wanted to kind of throw that out there into the universe that I got very little enjoyment, unfortunately, out of a great Islander victory in game one. I don't, you know, I don't care per se about the Islanders because I'm not an Islander fan. I'm, I'm rooting for them to do well because I just, I, I don't, I, I just like to see them do well. And it's more like, you know, the Rangers associate with the Knicks all just take the Islanders to do well. But I do think it's kind of interesting from your end to be an Islander fan that's not on the same level as a net fan and then not be able to get the joy out of the Islanders win. So it's, it's like clearly that net loss is more important than the Islander win. And I don't know because I'm not a hockey fan. And when my three teams, the Giants, Mets, and Nets, are all scattered at different times when, you know, there'll be a Met loss during a Net game or a Giant loss at certain times, but it's not the the, the meaningful game. So my brain can't even process what <laughs> it would be like having two teams deep in the playoffs, one win, one lose. I don't even know how to compute that. It's like – can. It's confusing me because, okay, the Mets <laughs> lose, but it's a game in right. June. Yeah. it's I, I don't know how to get, you know, the, the Nets lose and the Mets lose a big game in September. You know, it's different levels. So my brain can't even put this together. Yes. No, I, I trust me. I, I totally understand it because the Mets lost, like you said, a game on Sunday that was frustrating, but it was very easy to kind of throw it away and say, all right, it's June. We're in first place. We went two out of three against the Padres. Right. And it's very easy to not have that affect my day. But it's it's strange because, look, the Islanders and Nets have never had a run at the same time. Like they really haven't, unless you want to use the bubble last year as an example. And the Nets never had a run. We knew the deal. Right. So I was able to enjoy the Islander run, even though it was such an odd time of year to have a run in late August and early September. But if you look at the history of the Nets and the Islanders in my lifetime, this has never happened. I mean, I was thinking back to it. 
They have never been in the second round at the same time ever. Because remember, the Islanders went between 1993 and 2016 with winning without winning a round. So during the Jason Kidd era, the Islanders never advanced out of the first round. Sometimes they didn't even make the playoffs. So it's just it's 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 not even relatable. I can't even say, well, when I was young, this is how it felt. There is no when I was young, this is how yeah, it felt. Exactly. Because it never happened. Like I remember in 03, the arena of champions run where the New Jersey Devils got yeah. to the Stanley Cup finals and actually won the Stanley Cup. And we know about the Nets losing the NBA finals to San Antonio. I've always had kind of a okay relationship with the Devils in that the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So since I didn't like the Rangers, I always liked the Devils for that reason, but I was never a Devil fan. I'm an Islander fan. But during that run, I resented the Devils. Like I resented they're going on a run while the Nets are going on a run and the Devils are at the NBA Finals showing off the Stanley Cup. And it actually turned me against the Devils during that run because I don't know if it was jealousy or just F you. This is my team's run. Obviously, I'm an Islander fan, so I'm enjoying their run. But that's the only thing that was even comparable. The uh, old arena of champions run back in 2003. And I believe the game that the Devils showed up at the Meadowlands, at Continental, whatever the hell it was called at the time, I believe that was the game the Nets won. Because I, I, I did not go to that game. I think that was game four. The Nets evened up the series at two apiece. Yes. Uh, when the Devils showed up with the Stanley Cup and got the crowd all riled up and all motivated. But I, I don't know. I don't know how you should feel right now. Like, it, it, I mean, obviously, <laughs> I, I know you should feel on the net end, but uh, it's almost like you can't allow yourself to be happy because the Nets were played so poorly tonight. Yeah, I, I think what will happen, assuming things go badly for the Nets and they don't advance, is that it will be a nice kind of distraction exactly. when they're done. Like, all right, uh, hey, look, the Islanders are up three games to one on Tampa, you know, God willing, or wherever that series is. And it'll be a nice kind of transition into something else, even though the Mets could do that too. You know, if the Nets get eliminated, it's just transition into the fact that, Hey, the Mets are in first place. That's cool. But look, I, I know sometimes I'm very negative. And I think a lot of that is from experience. I'm not negative because that's the kind of human I am. I'm negative because I've never seen the Nets win an NBA title. I've never seen the Mets win a World Series. I've never seen the Jets win a Super Bowl. So I think that negativity comes back to the, I can't picture my team winning a championship. But this was a demoralizing three days. There's just no question. And I'm certainly not giving up. Uh, I'm not throwing any white flag, but I always want to be honest. As we sit here right now, I don't expect to win this series. And it sucks because the feeling on Thursday, Thursday night at about 1015 was so different than the feeling now as we record this on a Sunday night. And it's just it's crazy what 70 hours, 72 hours can do. But, man, I just hope I'm wrong. You know, I hope these guys, first of all, I hope they're healthy. But yep. I also hope Kevin Durant can be that mega man I mentioned earlier that guys like Joe Harris and Mike James can step up and they can somehow win this series. And then, hey, you worry about Philadelphia when you get to Philadelphia. You know what I mean? Like, that'd be a great thing to worry about and worry about the health status going into that series. It's just about surviving the next three games. And hopefully they're able to. I'm going to pray to the basketball gods. Two or three in Brooklyn. Get game five, worry about game six, get this nasty taste out of all of our mouths, get better performances from the from the from the from the bench, better performances from the role players, and let Kevin Durant be Kevin Durant 
and let's have a party in a couple of days that we're up three, two and not un- none of this PJ Tucker corner threes. None of this uh, Brooke Lopez, top of the key three, offensive rebounds. Let's, Let's change the narrative because Brook because Milwaukee did it to Brooklyn. Let's see if Brooklyn can do it back to Milwaukee, and let's take care of Game Five. All right, last question because my answer is yes. I'm curious what your answer is. Would you sign right now for yes. a winner take all Game Seven Saturday night? Yes. Okay. Good. Me too. <laughs> Me too. I'd sign for that right now. All yeah, right. Absolutely. Thank you all for listening to this uh, depressing edition of the Brooklyn Basketball Podcast.